Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. Hello and welcome to the 1865 match report. It finished Forest 2, Brighton 3 as Steve Cooper's Reds were beaten for the first time at home in the Premier League this season. Brighton coming away from the city ground with all three points after a frenetic and dramatic game. A disappointing defeat for Forest as we'll go into. Brighton were down to 10 men and Forest rallied close to the end of the game, the last 15-20 minutes but couldn't find the equaliser and, and couldn't salvage something from this match. The result leaves Forest 14th in the Premier League, eight points clear of the bottom three, and we're recording on Sunday morning. So as it stands, Forest are 14th and eight points clear of those bottom three relegation places. I've got Baz with me to look back over the game. And first of all, Baz, just a... A quick look at the Forest team news then. So two changes from the West Ham defeat. DeLillo in for Sangare and Wood in for the injured Taiwo Awanyi. Now Sangare looks like he's picked up quite a severe illness on international duty and hasn't been able to recover in time. So DeLillo coming in, I think, was probably the best option, but I think it was a blow losing Sangare. Um, definitely, I think... Well, I, I mean, we, we can talk later on about how Danilo performed, but I think um, the way we set up was slightly different as well, where um, Dominguez and Mangala both played as sort of like holding midfielders, like the why have a double pivot kind of thing, and Danilo a bit in front of them, which I guess was a tactical thing to try and deal with, um, to try and deal with the way Brighton play. But I don't think, I think that. We were overrun in midfield, um, especially in the first half, and it would be it would have been interesting to see if Sangare could have made a difference there, especially when we were struggling to keep possession. Mm, definitely, and also the the change up front. So Taiwo Wanyi is now out for up to three to four months, which is a a massive blow because 
I think we just look a better team when a one year's in there. And that's no disrespect to Wood or Origi, but I think he's so important to the way we want to play. Especially with, uh, and the thing that he gives us is he gives us a way of keeping possession. Yeah. Uh, which, again, we, we struggled with. We did, yeah. And I think he gives defenders a lot more to think about and in turn helps us to to have more control in the game and in the midfield in particular. So, yeah, another big blow for Forrest to have to contend with. But in this game, Forrest had the perfect start. They were in front after three minutes and it was Gibbs-White who drove into space in the, down the right-hand side, put a cross in. It was over the head of Chris Wood who had the attention of two Brighton defenders and Anthony Alanga at the back post placed a header into the far corner and it was a, an ideal start and a nice goal, actually. Well taken. Yeah, it was a very, very good goal. I thought, um, I think it was Lamptey who was supposed to be uh, marking Gibbs-White, who was kind of playing on the right. And I'm guessing he'd been told or they, they were expecting Gibbs-White not being a winger to cut inside. So he gave him acres of space to run into, put in a really, really good cross. I'm sure that the Brighton defenders were like, yep, what's the, the threat here? And so they left Alanga completely unmarked at the far post. Yep, perfect start for Forrest. 1-0 up after three minutes. But after that, Forrest never really built on that lead. And Brighton gradually took control of the game. And we know that they are very very good at holding on to possession and, and moving the ball around their defence to take the sting out of a game, but also wait for you to pounce and press mm. and, and and they'll play through you that way. But I think from Brighton's point of view, they got better once they had to make this early change, which was Ansu Fati. He went down and was holding his leg and he was replaced by Jao Pedro. And within five the minutes, of that, we went, the bloke next to me went. It doesn't get any better, does it? No. <laughs> so within and within five minutes, Brighton had equalised. But I think I think the goal was coming yeah. before then. Anyway, so, so Brighton, you could see Brighton were building up ahead of steam. But yeah. I did say, I think we've got like another goal in us, definitely here, because that there was like a couple of half chances that we managed to get them on the break, but and they hadn't really created anything. Mm-hmm. but you could see them sort of taking control of the game and the bloke next to me went, yeah, we might have one in us, but they've got at least two in them. So, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, so the goal itself, um, and this this is the pattern more than anything, especially in the first half, was we struggling to keep possession. And we just mentioned about how Taiwan makes a difference in that, how Songara could have made a difference in that. But the goal itself came from... Dean Lilo trying to possibly a slightly overambitious pass, which went straight to one of their midfielders, and then they just broke quickly. And um, it was the first one was Ferguson, wasn't it? Yeah. And yet, the pass to pick out Ferguson in our box was absolutely amazing. And then his finish was absolutely amazing as well. So, I mean, you could argue that he shouldn't have had as much space as he had in the box, but we were out of position because we we just lost the ball. And if you were being really picky, you could say that Nia Carte could have got closer to him, but I still think Ferguson had a lot to do to score from where he was to pick yeah. the corner out and almost place the ball past past Lacadimos. So um no, I think I think really that was just a, a good goal and certainly the finish was as well. So 
Yes, Brighton. As I say, it all started from us losing possession, giving possession away cheaply. Yeah, and that seemed seemed to be a common theme in that first half. And mm. at half time, we were talking amongst ourselves and saying that Forest looked at, like a Championship team again, and mm. we're really struggling to compete against Brighton. And there was a definite gulf in class. Well, I, yeah, I, I said uh, they looked like they're three divisions above us. <laughs> there was there were points as well. So not only could we not pass the ball to our own players and keep hold of it, but when they just when their midfield decided to motor through us, we couldn't touch them. We couldn't we couldn't even like get close to making a tackle on them. It was just it looked like a massive golfing class between the two sides. And Brighton just before the break, it went two one up, and it was a it was a header from. Pedro, who'd come on, he beats Ina in the air and and nods it in from the penalty spot. Powerful header, actually, from the penalty mm. spot. It was a cross from Pascal Gross on the right hand side. You know, I, I look at a goal like that, Baz, and I think you can't, you can't be conceding a header from the penalty box like that. It just felt very easy for him to have that space and beat Ina in the air and score. Uh, when it when it happened, I thought. Ina had been tracking Pedro, but Pedro had got the wrong side of him. And that's why it happened. But having seen it on the telly last night, Ina wasn't anywhere near him and had to come towards him to, to get close to him. So basically, Pedro had been unmarked. And that's, again, that's like, it's, it's a self-inflicted goal in that way. I mean, it was really well taken, the pass from Gross. I think it was Gross that passed to Ferguson as well. Hmm. So he'd obviously had a very, very good game, but... But yeah, we we could have done better and we should have done better. And I think in his post-match interview, Cooper alluded to that, that Forrest had been poor in the first half and he wasn't happy with that performance. So 2-1 at half-time and after the break, again, it, it, it the game had a similar pattern to it up to the hour mark when Brighton were awarded a penalty. And this was a, a, a ball that was hoisted in towards the back post. The ball was nodded across and Chris Wood was adjudged to have pulled down Pedro in the penalty area. Penalty awarded and Pedro stepped up and sent the keeper the wrong way to score and make it 3-1. Now, I think the penalty is soft, but I think it's a penalty. I'm more inclined to say that it's one of those, if you're going to give it, then you've got to give three or four penalties a game. What do you think? Mm. I think so. When it happened, everyone was up around me was utterly confused. It's like, what, what, what's, what's he giving it for? Mm. And then behind where I sit, there's some of those big posh boxes, and you can just see the TV screen. If you, if you like, turn backwards and then look upwards, you can just see the TV screen, and you could. I couldn't see who it was, but you could clearly see this hand pulling on Pedro's shirt and dragging him to the ground. And and I don't know the exact rules anymore because it's all got much more complicated, but. As far as I'm concerned, you commit a foul like that, then you give away a free kick. So if you commit a foul like that in the box, then you give away a penalty. That's that seems to me pretty simple. Mm. And I I don't have any complaints about the penalty being given. And so it was three one once Pedro had converted the spot kick, and Forrest made a couple of changes on sixty three minutes. So we had Hudson Odoi coming on for Danilo and Origi coming on for Chris Wood. And then 
a few minutes later, Ryan Yates came on for Dominguez. But it was in this last 20 minutes of the game that everything seemed to kick off and it turned into a mix of chaos and just entertainment at the same time. It was entertaining <laughs> chaos, it felt like. Um, just just before we get to, to the, the incidents, um, the referee was getting chants right from the first half about how he was bad every week. So it's not like um, he... And the Brighton fans joined in with those chants. So it's not like he'd covered himself in glory during the first half either. No, and I think... And we're going to come on to this, I think, with yeah. the next incident. But he was struggling to maintain control of the game. And I think there were a few inc- incidents where Brighton were time-wasting and really trying to sort of run down the clock. And the referee was just allowing it to happen. Their goalkeeper in particular was mm. was guilty of it. Um, yeah, we see it a lot now in football, but I still think referees have got a duty to stamp it out. And I don't think they always do. So anyway, we, we'll get on now to the, the next big talking point. This was, what, 76 minutes? Mm-hmm. And the incident started with Murillo. He hit a long ball forward into the penalty area. Hudson Adoy was challenging for it. He fell under a challenge from, I think it was Hinshel Wood, mm. come on for Brighton. This was in the penalty area, but nothing was given and the game carried on. Hudson Adoy got up and was remonstrating that it should have been given a penalty. The crowd as well were up in arms about it, but the game carried on for. Oh, probably a good two or three minutes at least. And then all of a sudden, the referee was called to the screen to review the incident and he awarded the penalty. Now, what what was your view on that incident, Baz, and, and everything that happened around it? <laughs> so, first of all, um, the, I, I, when I sort of looked over as the ball went over and you could see like Hudson Odoi in midair making a big star shape and then falling on the ground. And I was like, that's got to be a penalty. He's, there's no way you can fall like that naturally. He has to have been pulled down. And then obviously the ref just waved it on. Brighton go up the other end and make a chance out of it. And I was thinking, yeah, it's just, just our luck that they're going to score after we've been denied a clear what looked like a clear penalty. After the ball goes out, I think we went out for a throw-in from, from Brighton's chance. And then I thought Hudson, either one of hudson Adoy or Morgan Gibbs-White are going to get themselves booked or sent off here because they were proper screaming at the referee. And then suddenly the referee puts his hand up like, and then goes over to the monitor. And it's, I was like, I don't fully understand the rules again, but surely... This is, must be like two and a half minutes after the the incident, so it's mm. too late for him to call it back now. And what what would have happened if Brighton had scored? Would they chalk the goal off, even though it's been two and a bit minutes since? I, and I didn't understand it. Gibbs White, because uh, the 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 VAR monitor is kind of not far from in front of us where we sit. Gibbs White was giving it all, getting the chant, the crowd to 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 chant and whatever. Um, chanting penalty, penalty, which was quite amusing, <laughs> and then and then he goes and gives it, and that's when the chaos broke out <laughs> because obviously the Brighton fans, the Brighton players were incensed. Our players were emotional about it, and um, from what I could see, it looked like one of their players put his arm on the referee's shoulder, and then saw the card, 
And then I thought, well, then I didn't know it was the same player. Then I saw a red card come out and I was like, what he said. I thought he'd probably sent off uh, Hinshelwood for, for the, the foul. But, yeah. but it turns out it was Dunk and it was two. Well, I presume it was Dunk that put his arm on on the referee in the first place and then complained about it and swore at him or something like that. But but it, well, that wasn't the only one. So I think Niakate got a booking in that. And yep. one of their players got a booking as well because Anthony Taylor had probably realised that he'd made <laughs> this massive mistake, let it go, and then was going to lose control of the game. So he had to do something to to try and stamp his authority on it, but he didn't really. It, it didn't help. No, it was too far gone by that point, wasn't it? Yeah. And even then, we we still had to wait a few minutes for the penalty to be taken. Well, that's the other thing is, yeah, so the Brighton players all just crowded on the spot. Mm. And there was loads of shoving and whatever. And again, Anthony Taylor's either didn't notice it or chose not to ignore it. Um, they were saying on the radio afterwards that they were scuffing the penalty spot and all that kind of stuff. And I, what was going through my head was I was reading uh, a, a while back, I'd read this article saying that the longer that takes between the the incident and the penalty being given, the more likely the player is to miss. <laughs> and I'm like thinking, it's like almost 10 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was get, and it was. It was getting silly, and I think again the referee needed to step in and clear the box, and you know, basically tell the Brighton players to get in position. But and even then, actually, once they were in position, and Gibbs White almost started his run up, and then he had to call it back because the the Brighton players were encroaching, hmm. and so it was just a, again and again and again. And I mean, I'm assuming the Brighton players were doing that deliberately. It's like to try and put the, the taker off. But yeah. the referee had lost control completely at that point. And Gibbs White, to his credit, in amongst all that, just stood away from it, composed himself and took the penalty well, sent Verbruggen the wrong way and scored. And at 3-2, with about 15 minutes left, plus half an hour of injury time that was going <laughs> to come, you know, it felt like Forrest did have an opportunity and Forrest did press in those last 15, 20 minutes and really, really had a go at Brighton, I thought, and put proper pressure on them as well. So actually, the thing that really impressed me, and I've gone on about this in, in on, on, on this podcast before, which was, I think the entire turning point of Steve Cooper taking over was that game Bristol City away when Lyle Taylor got the two penalties in injury time. And after he scored the first one, he ran over to the ball and grabbed it out of the keeper's hands and then ran back to the the, um, the centre circle. So it's like, yes, we can do this. And Gibbs White did the same thing. As soon as he'd scored, he grabbed the ball and ran back to the centre circle. So you could see the players were fired up and ready and they had this belief that we could do something out of it. And we absolutely took the game to them. I think pretty much all the last 20 minutes was played, well, apart from a, a few incidents that we'll talk about, was played right in Brighton's half. I don't think, apart from Odysseus, we didn't have a player in our half for, for most of that time. No, and Brighton with 10 men had to do some serious defending, actually. And mm. I think to their credit, they set up well in that last 15 minutes and made it difficult for Forrest to to create chances and, and, and get the ball and move the ball around and try and play through them. Well, I, I have to say as well, I mean... I think overall our performance was poor and even though we took the game to them, 
we didn't do as well or do as much as we could have done. There was a number of times where the ball, we'd failed to to find a way through Brighton. The ball would spill out to to Ola Aina, who was like our, our man who was furthest back, who was in a bit of space. He would look up for a pass and none of our players were moving. So the Brighton players would just move in to block his passing lanes and he, he would have no option apart from to play it square or to play it back because we were so static. So even when we were fired up and ready to go, it's like we, we couldn't take that little extra step to make it happen. And do you think that is just a, a lack of quality on Forrest's part or a lack of composure, do you think, in the in the moment? Um I don't know, because because like those that like there was one point I even noticed this and I was surprised was Ina had the ball and Yates was kind of ahead of him, vertically ahead of him, and Yates moved behind the Brighton defender, and it was almost like he was moving away from from receiving the ball, and I don't know if that's like a a belief thing or something. I don't. It just it it felt like we could we could have done better. Mm. And and if we'd, it's not that we didn't want it, but we, I don't know. It's it's like we 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 kind of shot ourselves in the foot there. And we had ten minutes of added on time at the end of the game, and with two minutes of that time remaining, came the big chance for Forest, and it fell to Ryan Yates. It was Hudson Odoi. He came sort of cut inside from the left wing, put the ball towards the back stick. I can't remember who nodded it across now, but it went to Yates, middle of the box, six yards out, gets a powerful header in, and Verbruggen saves it. But I do think Ryan can do better with the header. I think either side of the keeper in, it's in. And he had... It wasn't like he was marked by a player and really was jostling to get anything on the ball. He, he had the space to get a good connection on it, and... I think really that's got to go in and, and that would be the equaliser. What do you think, mm. Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, did, I couldn't, I didn't notice it was Yates that, 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 as it went in, but it was one of those where you think it's in and then you, your head's in your hands and I don't know quite, yeah, he, he should have done better with that. I mean, you could argue that maybe that's that's never really been, I mean, we, we've seen Yates' scores were in the trend, but he hasn't been a prolific goal scorer, even when he breaks in late. And more often than not, he does miss his, his chances when he breaks into the box like that. So it's maybe something that, again, he needs to to look at. I know he he put a lot of work into it last season. Yeah, maybe it's just a little bit rusty, but yeah, that that was a, a prime opportunity to get to get something out of the game. And he has that knack as well, doesn't he, of finding himself on the end of chances and opportunities. Yeah. So. When it's not gone in the net, you think he's done all the hard work to get there on the, and on the end of something, but just cannot quite find the finish. So mm. I think, that, again, that comes back to on the day, the difference. Forrest just didn't quite have the quality or maybe composure in that final third to eventually get something from the game. And 3-2 it finished and Forrest... Oh, there's one other thing. That, oh, well, there's, go on. So there was a chance for Gibbs-White as well, which, um, yeah. again, I'd argue that maybe he could have done better. Um, but then the other bit, which was obviously the danger of playing in your opposition half, is that you're open to the counter-attack. And there was one where João Pedro basically speeded, sped past every single one of our players. I think it was Mangala was the last one. Yeah. And... 
couldn't get near him. But then Marilla was at least 10 yards behind Mangala, and I don't know how he did it, but he powered through and then just nicked the ball off Pedro's foot while he was in the box. It was one of those where an inch the wrong way and it was a definite penalty. And I don't know how he did it, but he absolutely looked exhausted after doing it. (laughs) My initial reaction was he'd given away the penalty because I just Mm. didn't expect him to be able to win the tackle from the position he was in. Um, But no, that was a because The way he had to run, he had to sort of almost curve round to get. Mm. So he had to go the long way round to get in front of him. And Pedro had already outpaced everyone. Yeah. (laughs) It's just amazing. Yeah, brilliant bit of last ditch defending, and yeah, that was that was it really for the game. You say the the Gibbs White chance you mentioned as well, but in the end, it finished three two to Brighton and Forest beaten, and another three two defeat, two in a row now for Forest after what happened at West Ham before the international break. A quick word for the scenes at the end of the game. So. At the final whistle, the Brighton players and all of their coaching staff sprinted over to their fans in the corner of the Bridgeford stand. And their manager, Deserby, didn't even shake Steve Cooper's hand before he went off celebrating, which I'm not bothered about their celebrations. You know, they're, they're entitled to celebrate a win when they've got injuries and 10 men. And it was quite an emotional game, actually. But I thought that was poor form from the manager to not at least acknowledge his opposite number and just give Cooper a handshake before mm. you go and celebrate. It was, well, I mean, we were like, it's that they're celebrating like they've just won the FA Cup and it's only us. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, I was, I was a bit nonplussed at the way they'd, they'd reacted to it in the first place. It was, um, yeah, it was, and they, they, I mean, we could hear the, 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 the celebrations from the fans, like as I was leaving the ground, which was a good like I don't know five ten minutes after the after the final whistle, and they were still in there celebrating. So it obviously meant a lot to them. But yeah, the the thing with I mean the thing with the managers shaking hands, I know it's 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 just a, like a nice to have and whatever, but it is something that you do. So it's just I don't know it's. I guess he just got caught up in the heat in the moment as well, but with, with the way they were. It's like, it's, yeah, it's like you're beating a team that's like 10 places below you. It's not that big a deal, surely. No. And it was like they'd won the League Cup, the FA Cup, the Champions League yeah. and everything all in one, wasn't it? It was, yeah, a bit of a strange scene, but if that's what they want to do, then that's up to them, really. But 3-2 it finished and, and the game just sort of went away from Forest and they couldn't quite find that equaliser. And so Brighton came away with the three points. And let's now hear the view from the opposition. It's over to Brighton fan Ian. Well, I'm not really sure what to what to say, to be honest. Uh, the, the, aside from my blood pressure is probably at a very unhealthy level throughout that game. Um I think, well, I'm just going to start off with the refereeing performance, uh, which I thought was pretty atrocious. The lack of consistency of refereeing in this league is shocking, in my opinion. Um, I do think our penalty was more of a penalty than your penalty. Um, But, you know, I've seen both of them not given. I'm happy if they're both given. That's fair, I suppose. Um... But I do think Anthony Taylor's performance was not very good in this game. 
um, for either either team. Um, I think Dunk was magnificent for us before he obviously said something he probably shouldn't, and that will cost us for the next few games because our squad is hugely depleted at the moment. With uh, we are being affected by an enormous number of injuries. Playing on Thursday is not going to help. They all looked pretty knackered at the end of that game, and you know, like fair enough, they put in a hell of a shift. Um, I was fully anticipating losing today, um, and that's why I'm kind of quite elated, but also uh, I'm not really sure what to say. Um, I think you've got a much better squad than uh, uh, than last year, um, and I was impressed by uh, you know the way you go go about football. Actually, uh, a lot of teams play in Brighton. Um, really try and just not play football. And I don't think that you were uh, like that um, today. I think, you know, fair enough, you play a different style of football to us, but it wasn't negative football that I'm I'm, uh, I'm quite used to seeing now, which is a, a real shame. Um, I think that's probably about all I can muster at this point in time. What a what a game, though. Must have been incredible for a neutral. Um, bad luck. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of hoping I don't see too many of those this season because uh, I'm not sure I'll, uh, my heart will last, to be honest. But I'm elated. Um, good luck with the rest of the season. I think you guys are going to do fine. Uh, you've got a good manager and uh you know it was an incredible atmosphere today with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details for the 23-24 season 1865 the nottingham forest podcast is sponsored by green king sports where football is more than a game. Green King sports venues are showing every televised forest fixture over the course of the season. So next weekend, instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, they have launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which is home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out. Drop them a follow on Instagram and you'll be the first to know about all this. And you'll also be helping us at 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Now it's back to your match report. The 1865 match report. Welcome back. So... While we're still wrapping up the game, Baz, you wanted to, to touch on something regarding Morgan Gibbs-White. Yeah, so uh, during during the game itself, um, someone near me was like, uh, I was like, 
I think we need Yatesy on here to to like give us a bit of bite in midfield. And this bloke goes, uh, personally, I put Hudson Adoy on so he can move Gibbs White into the middle because he's looking a bit lost out there. And he was right. I mean, and that's what we did in the end. But um, so apart from that, in the first three minutes where Gibbs White basically played as a winger and went outside the 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 left back, I thought most of the time he was obviously fired up for the game. He's looked a little bit lacklustre or a little bit out of it for some games this season. But today he was definitely fired up and he was playing as well as he we know he can. But he also looked incredibly frustrated at being out on the right wing. And a big part of us coming back into the game was the fact that he moved into the centre. It's almost like it it's it's a waste of him being on the right wing. And I think it's getting to him as well. He looked like he was really pissed off at that, that he was he was stuck out there. And he was doing all his little flicks and drag backs and all that kind of stuff to beat someone and then finding himself in a useless position where there was no options open to him. So that was quite annoying. And that meant that as he got more and more frustrated, especially in the first half, his when he, when he beat the, the defender, his pass would then go astray because one, it was too hard a pass to make because there weren't really any options for him. And two, you could see he was just snatching at it because he was annoyed. So we need to, and that's a problem with playing this sort of 4-3-3 kind of thing, is there's no space for him to play as a number 10. But today we were actually playing with with two defending midfielders, so there, there was space for him. Um, I wonder if even it might be worth, we could have played maybe, because Danilo didn't really do that much in the game, apart from give a goal away. So I wonder if there was even a way that we could have maybe swap them over if we had to have Danilo playing and maybe put Danilo out wide because Gibbs White's wasted out there. And I wonder as well, Gibbs White being out there, if that's had anything to do with hudson Doy being injured and obviously mm. we don't have Brennan Johnson at the club anymore. So maybe now that hudson Doy is working his way back in, he will take that spot on the right-hand side. Alanga will be down, down the left flank and then we see Gibbs White playing more centrally. I agree, actually. I think that's where he's most effective. So whether that's we decide to... But I don't do... see how that would fit with the midfield of like uh, Mangala, Sangare and Dominguez. Well, that's it. Yeah. Who would you drop of the three? That's... Yeah. I'd probably say at the moment, assuming Sangare comes back fit for the next game, you'd probably say Dominguez. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's a tough one because that, that midfield has been quite effective for us, giving us more control in games and just looking at more of a solid unit. So it's uh could be a, in a in a way a good a good problem for Cooper to have if mm. Gibbs White becomes more of an impact player from the bench, for example. Possibly, yeah. But then that one, I can't see that happening. And two, you kind of he's 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 got the energy to run the entire game. So it's kind of a waste again, not not using him. Yeah. It's um be interesting to see now how that how that plays out as pe- as players begin to return from injury in those positions. Just a, a quick word as well for the atmosphere. You, you mentioned that the atmosphere felt different. In so this game. last season, last season when we played Brighton, um, which was a big big win for us, and I believe 
it was the fans that made that win happen. The first half, like today, we were pretty much outclassed. And then the second half, we took the game by the scruff of the neck. But it was like constant chanting, constant noise. And I think Brighton would fielded an especially young team that, that day. And you could almost see the Brighton players wilting as the game went on because they because of this constant noise. And that's what gave us the, the, the inroads to get into the game. Whereas yesterday it was the atmosphere was very, very flat. Obviously scoring early and lots of noise after that. But you'd hear like pockets of the grounds trying to start a chant and it wouldn't take on. So there, there were people trying to make the noise, but the rest of the ground wasn't. And and I mean, I it's understandable in that what we were seeing on the on the pitch wasn't great. But unlike last season, where what we were seeing on the pitch wasn't great, so the fans stepped up to try and to bring the players up. And that didn't happen this time until the the sort of second half of the second half. Yeah, I I clocked it must have been around 60 minutes before I heard a chant really get going around the ground. And it was notable mm. to me because I thought I've been sat here for an hour and that's the first real chant that I've heard, which is not like the atmosphere at the city ground. And yeah, I, I think that's a bit of a shame, to be honest, and hopefully something that we can put right, because I still think the fans have got a big part to play in helping Forrest achieve things this season. Yeah, and I wonder why it's that little bit flatter and 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 so on. Is it because our expectations have been raised? The other thing to note as well is one of the things I really enjoyed last season was a lot of the chants were very very funny. So um, and again with against Brighton uh, and it came from both sides. So so against Brighton, um, we were singing Champions of Europe. You'll never sing that. To which they responded, Champions of Sussex. You'll never sing that, which is absolute genius. <laughs> This season, the only like funny chant that made me laugh out loud was um was Vincent Company, your trainers are shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, there was one where there was an, an announcement um on the tannoy about some van that had been parked across the road or something, and uh, with the um the uh the fans responded with uh, we're Nottingham Forest will park where we want, so I'll <laughs> maybe talk about that a bit. I was all, yeah. And I don't think I've heard one of those announcements at the city ground for years. So yeah, no. <laughs> I think with Forrest at home again next week against Everton, I think that's one the fans are going to have to step up again because Everton will see these last couple of results with Forrest and certainly what happened against Brighton. And they're going to come here and make life very difficult for Forrest. And I think they're going to be spurred on now by their points deduction as well. We've got to be wary of that. Definitely. And there's going to be this expectation that Everton are this rubbish side, but we always struggle against physical sides and it's a Sean Dyche side. So they're going to outmuscle us all the way through the game. And it's going to be incredibly frustrating. It's going to be not like, not the way like Brighton outplayed us. It's going to be a physical grind and it's going to be really, really tough and We've always, for as long as I can remember, we've really struggled against teams that play that way. If you think back to us playing against Warnock sides, it's always been that way. And I think the fans are going to get very, very frustrated. And I'm a little bit worried about yeah whether we'll be able to step up for that. Is there anything you want to see Cooper do differently in that game? Any changes or tactical or personnel? <laughs> the, the only thing is... 
yeah, we're going to need to, especially in midfield, we're going to need to be physical. So having Sangare would be really useful. I hope he's he's fit. Uh, I'm not sure maybe if um, Dominguez would be the right choice for that. Maybe it's a Yates job, that one. Yeah, and I, I think that we're going to need that physicality in midfield and probably the height as well in the team to mm. defend set pieces because we know what Everton are capable of and Sean Dyche teams can do from the set piece. Last season's game, we had a couple of goals conceded in those kind of circumstances, not dealing with set pieces. And mm. yeah, that's, I think we've had a warning already about that. And hopefully Forrest can, can put that right next week. We'll leave it there then. And we will now look forward to Everton next Saturday. Thank you, Baz. And thank you to Ian Pepiets for providing the opposition view. And thank you as well, listener, for joining us. We will be back with you with our match report after the Everton game. So see you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.